0: Hi everyone and welcome back to the Foul Hour. Today I'm joined by brand identity designer Greg Davies. He's one of the few guys we've actually spoken to who's from the UK and historically i am not spoken to too many people from the UK. Hopefully that will be changing quite a bit in 2020 as I reach out to more people in my local network as well as through Instagram and other platforms. Now before we get into our conversation with Greg today, just want to do a quick shout to our sponsors, Skillshare. Now, Skillshare is an online learning platform where you can access over 30,000 different courses on everything from accounting to social media, to learning new design software, creating patterns, etc. You can also learn from people such as Aaron Draplin, Paula Share, Gary Vaynerchuk, and Sagi Haviv, legendary designer Sagi Haviv with Skillshare, we're offering you two free months of the entire platform, as much access on your tablet, on your phone, on your computer, wherever you are and have internet, unlimited classes for two months. Completely free, no charges, nothing's going to touch your credit card and you can cancel it at any time. Now, I also recommend people sign up for Skillshare for the entire year, but if you just want to test it out, try these courses, maybe learn a new platform, a new application. It's how I learn InDesign through Skillshare and through their Adobe Certified Instructors. And it's so easy and so smooth to follow along and keep track of where you are with all of their modules in each course. Now to get those two free months, you want to go to skl.sh slash cfowlerdesign and to sign up for your two free months, you'll need to use an email you've never used with Skillshare before. So make sure you use that when you go for the trial. You can also look and use the link in the description of today's show to get the same deal if you're on your phone rather than listening to this on your desktop. Thank you very much for supporting the show by signing up for those two free months with Skillshare. And now we're going to get straight on to today's show with Greg. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Fowler Hour. It's 2020. Things have moved forward and this episode is not recorded in 2020, but that doesn't really matter because you're listening to it anyway. And anyway, so this is the Fowler Hour. Things are kicking off to a raring start with some amazing guests. And we're going to be starting this week with Greg Davies. Greg, how you doing, man? Let's have a chat. Let's see where things go.
1: I'm pretty good, Connor. How are you?
0: Yeah, well, I've you've kind of, as I said, this is the moment at which I'm redecorating my office and my room. So we're in yeah. a very tense period of of like understanding how well to paint white onto walls. But <laughs> <laughs> and also I'm two pints in because you can't paint for like four hours at a time, so we had a few drinks, but <laughs>
1: and you just got paint all
0: over your face as well well you know it's one of those things someone's got to tread in the bucket at some point but (laughs) so greg is joining us today um from saltburn which is kind of north england whitby area blustery kind of seaside-esque area um and he is a brand identity designer actually recommended to come on the show by lisa jacobs so we're in good company today guys and so, but for the people at home, Greg, who might not know who you are, can you give us a, a brief rundown of maybe what you're doing at the moment and who you are?
1: Yeah, no worries. So my name is Greg Davies. I'm 29. I am um, a graphic designer. Um, I'm focusing more on logo design and brand identity design. Um, I have experience in fine art and illustration. Um, I'm also a marine biologist, so I have a degree in uh, a science um, degree um but i love art as well so yeah i like to draw in all them fields uh, my science my fine art and my illustration when creating brand identities
0: awesome so you've been able to kind of combine the powerhouse of all of these mythology like uh what's the word all these processes together to make something that is not just maybe based on strategy and fact but also a little bit of flair and illustration in there as well
1: yeah definitely i like to think um the fine art route is very much um, art direction. So I, I, love, I love film. I love um, the old masters, you know, like Suzanne and Dali. Um, and I love photography and videography and um, cinematography. So I, like, I really like to, to, to bring that into my, to my brand identities when I'm doing it. You know, I, I have a very solid picture in mind based on the brief. Um, and then I like to bring that across in, in either the photography or the, or the style of logo and design
0: that's awesome so let's let's kind of backtrack a little bit there because i didn't know you had a uh you worked in marine biology or you work in marine yeah. biology or biotech or something like that
1: so yeah i i'm currently well actually um as as it as it is i i, I actually handed my notice in last week so i'm now a full-time um freelance designer um but i have been working um, Thank you. Uh,
0: but, uh, <laughs> Slow clap. <laughs> well, congratulations for that. Hopefully that's the move you actually wanted to do and not me just clapping oh, along definitely. for no reason. <laughs> no,
1: no, um, but I, I've worked in the biotech center um, for about eight years now. Um, when, I, when, I, when, I, when I was going to uni, I had a big decision to make. I was either going to do art or I was going to do science. Um, and I chose to do science because I felt I could do art in my spare time rather than the other way around. And I wanted to pursue science because I had a love for science. I had to pursue, um, you know, I had a love for biology, ecology, physiology, um, psychology, and I really wanted to push that forward. Um, And then coming out of university, I got a job at a biotech center, um, and I went from being a lab technician to a research technician to an application specialist, which meant that I would travel around the world um, teaching large groups of people normally non-English speakers, um, on how to use scientific software and scientific instrumentation. So there was a lot of presenting involved, there was a lot of preparation involved, there was a lot of making uh, uh, presentation slides, which I quite enjoyed. Um, But as as time went on, I found that really, really stressful. Um, And I found being in front of large groups of people talking about things that I wasn't completely passionate for. I found that quite stressful, so I decided to, you know, tell my tell my boss that I, I really didn't want to do that anymore. Um, but I was more than willing willing to help them on their branding identities and and their and their brochures and their and their flyers and stuff. And it, and it just so happens that at the time, um, they were going into a new um, branding process. So I got I got the chance to work with an agency um, at first hand with them working on the branding identity and you know they they took me under their wing and 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 they taught me a lot um they they taught me how to use InDesign. Um, they taught me a little bit of web design and and i just i just really got the passion from then um and ever since then which i think that was about six years ago ever since then i've been i've been trying to do more design work um and i've just faded out the the main job from full time to four time uh, four days a week to two days a week and now I'm full time freelance so so that's pretty much the the scientific journey um, and how I became freelance but it's been a long time a long time coming and um, and it feels like now's the right time um, I'm, I'm getting some really great projects at the minute and I, and I feel that like I'm I'm honing in on my on my niche which is really exciting um, so yeah, so yeah, that's how I've I've incorporated the two and and moved on to onto design.
0: You say it's a long time coming, but six years and in, in kind of that period of phasing those things out smoothly, of doing the right things, like business wise, that's probably the right thing to do is to phase things out slowly, kind of learn and understand. But more more so, what's interesting to me from that story you've just explained is how you were able to basically kind of step your foot in the door of an agency as the company you were working for now yeah yeah. when that process came about was it a case of you're an employee at the company they're rebranding so you can give them like insider exclusive knowledge and that was the trade or was it just they were kind of willing to to take you under their wing and let you see what's going
1: on under the hood um, well, I think I think the company that I was at, they they knew that I was artistic and I had uh, graphic design knowledge, and and the company that we were hiring at the time knew that as well. So it it it, it was very easy to have um, someone in in both pies, as it were, to sort of steer the steer the ship, uh, and like you say, have inside knowledge on the company, and and I would I would kind of gain their knowledge, um, and uh, as time progressed, I would be able to create our own brochures and our own flyers um and i and I would learn from both sides um so yeah it was it was very much um they took me under their wing and i and I learned everything that they that they sort of taught me, which was really good, it was really useful and and it was all for free, you know I was getting paid for it, so it was it was pretty amazing um pretty amazing experience when
0: when was the moment during that kind of process where you went, you know what instead of me saying i 'll do art on the side of this job or phasing things out where you went actually brand identity or branding or design in general was the thing you wanted to go for was it a conversation was it a workshop they were part of or something you saw when it kind of clicked to say art just doesn't have to be my side hobby anymore it could actually be my full thing
1: yeah well I think it it actually stemmed all from um when I said to the company I don't want to do application support anymore um I, I was getting really depressed I wasn't creating anything I wasn't I wasn't being creative. I was, you know, nine to five, going to job every single day, and it was really depressing and really getting me down. Um, and I was actually in a in a band at the time before I took on this project at work. And I would make our, our set lists, and I would do our logo and our posters, and I really loved that. I really loved it, and I would I would look forward to making these set lists. You know, I'd print one out for every member of the band, and I'd and each single set list would have sort of an identity. That was linked to the bar we were playing at. I'd put the logo on it, and I absolutely loved doing that. So that was kind of uh, it, it. Sort of spurred the spurred the the passion again from when I did it at college, um, and then having this opportunity at work. It you know when I when I had the opportunity, I, I said, yeah, I really want to do this. But as you say, I it, it was more. I think it was it was better for me to phase it out rather than just say, yep, yeah, I really like doing this. I'm just going to do that full time. I spent the time learning it, and over over the six years, I decided that that would be a better a better route to take. Um, so yeah, it was. I think I think very early on I knew that was that's what I wanted to do, but I I knew it wasn't really feasible. So I um I did the the whole phasing out thing, um, and it, and it's put me in good stead for the future. I think.
0: Yeah, I think many people don't realise that as well, that that is an option, because yeah. I didn't do that. So what I did was I I worked in a supermarket. I worked in t t-shirt printers. Then I worked at Lidl. Then I worked yeah. freelance. It was like stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. Um, yeah. And without phasing that out, fortunately I had savings, but many people come to me and say, how do I get started freelancing? I really want to quit my job. I hate it so much. And it's like, I want you to do so well, but I yeah. also know that how miserable i was for eight like six to eight months before i got my first client and I, as i yeah. burned through my savings um mm-hmm. so to hear someone like yourself actually say you know what the process i did of really taking the time and having the patience to move through that process step by step is quite refreshing because it means that yeah. you're yes as, you, as you said you set yourself up looking forwards rather than just mm-hmm. trying to solve the immediate problem
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I say to myself, no, I, I wish I'd done this five years ago. But yeah. then at the same time, <laughs> if, I, if, I'd, if I'd had the projects I have now, doing them like over five years of being stressed and not having any money or work, I think I wouldn't be as good now as I was then. Um, sorry, I wouldn't be as good now um, if I hadn't stayed at work, if that makes sense. So, yeah, so if
0: you dropped straight into freelance, you don't think you'd picked up the same skills?
1: Exactly, yeah. and I learned. I learned a lot um, teaching myself while having the support and the comfort of being able to go to work and and, a, and earn a decent wage. So, um, so yeah, I'm very grateful for that.
0: Awesome. Now, when it came to pitching and understanding and how to move through into that brand identity phase, yeah, what was your first initial contact? What was your initial process of maybe finding those first few clients? How did you find? that idea of talking to people about business, maybe in design perspective for the first time, Mm. as you say, you working in with applications and presentations, you're used to talking to lots of people. You're used to kind of being on a stage, you're in a band. This is, these are all the things that I talk about quite a lot where it's like, I have the confidence to stand up and talk in front of people and have discussions. But when you're on the other end of a phone with someone or meeting them for coffee over a design proposal that you've spent six hours preparing, it's like, It's a very different beast. <laughs> so, what was that like? Kind of switching over from maybe, um, presentation mode to kind of one-on-one discussion with design.
1: Well, I think it it, it sort of developed in the same way over um a number of years. So, so so my very early commissions were were like a, an album artwork or, or a logo for a band or a or a poster or a flyer, and as as these as I got more um sorry as it got better at what I was doing I was getting um you know more and more clients uh, with higher and higher budgets um and that and that it, it required more work from me it required more input from strategy it may just be a simple thing like um you know we need to name something do you have any ideas' and I'm like, well, well, like of course I have some ideas I think you should go down this route because because of X y and Z and uh, like that absolutely fascinated me that the, the like the thought that you could solve, um, business issues with, um, creative strategic design. It just really fascinates me. And, and you like, you look at the work from, um, from like, uh, Michael Beirut and, and Paul Asher and, and what they've done with, with such simple, um, ideas. And it's just, it's just really great how they've been able to create a full identity, um, From just very simple ideas and and I think that's what fascinates me it's it's um it's you know clients and and briefs are both like puzzles I find and you have to you have to really figure them out and I think that's what fascinates me and I think the way the way I got better at doing it was was talking more being able to talk to them and being able to really ask questions and I think being from a scientific background as well um I sort of take that approach when making an identity, actually even before making the identity, you know, you, you go through the, the process very methodically and, and, and you take pride in the research, you know, researching the client, researching the, the target audience, and then, and then you write down your hypotheses, you say, I think this branding identity should be this, and then you go about asking questions to, to disprove the hypothesis over the few over the few months of discussions. Um, and then it it really makes the 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 end goal quite refined. Um, and then and then the, and then the easy part is the creating it. So I think just asking questions and um, and having patience with the client really helped me. I think like like as you say, talking to a lot of you know non-native English speakers and, and teaching them software, it really helped me in gaining that patience because people learn things slowly. So you have to talk to them and i think yeah communication is key when you're doing brand identities because there's there's so much to there's so much to take in and there's so much to get right there's so much to get wrong so you really have to get the communication right at the start and and you know clients can say one thing and they mean completely the opposite so you really have to talk to them and i think that's that's key to to getting that right
0: totally and especially the way you phrased that just then so The idea of building a hypothesis to test and run experiments against effectively to actually see whether that identity or at least the strategy behind it will be effective for those target audiences, um, for the products or for whatever the company is trying to achieve. Yeah. The way you phrase that's actually very interesting because most people would come in um, without any kind of, let's say, um, science or math-based background or, or more critical thinking-based background, shall I say, and yeah. come in and just be like, this is the brief, this is A to B, This is uh, we're not going to run any kind of serious strategy here, we're just going to throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Um, yeah, yeah which yeah. is very much the artist's way of doing it it's like do you like this do you do you like yeah. that um maybe if i put like a bit of tinsel on it um would you like yeah. it even more um so when it comes to actually phrasing these more mission statements the the hypothesis that you go for do you find that clients actually appreciate the methodical approach rather than coming to you say as an artist and just letting you create
1: but i think i never i never really let the client in too close so i don't okay. sort of i don't i don't sort of give them hypotheses and i don't i i i try and not um what's the word i try and not um patronize the client you know like this is an experiment and we're going to do an experiment on you and your your potential brand i i just i try and i sort of do that in the background, but the way I approach a client and talk to them is very just like a friend, I'm there. I'm there as an, an advisor and, and as a consultant, um, and I and I come up with these artistic ideas to sort of represent the things that that methodical approach um, outlines. So it's like the engine is is the is the science, but more the how the car looks is is more the art. So I'm very I'm just I'm very talkative. Um, I'm quite you know approachable, but under the hood, I'm very methodical. So I don't, I don't, if that, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And yeah. it, again, it's good to have that distinction because yeah. sometimes people will let people, uh, let their clients in too close, as you say. Yeah, and if, if you do that, what that can lead to is you kind of on your knees going, this is what we're going to do. Is that okay?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And And I've, I've done that before. I've been in that position where I'm like, Oh my god, I'm just gonna send this over WhatsApp. Like, do you do you like this? I've made this little amend. Do you like it? Do you like
0: <laughs> over, it? Over the do fact you like said it? over WhatsApp. No, I'm done. Like I'm done at that point.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you, you have to have the you have to have the confidence in yourself to to like step back and and I think it's also really good to to not let them too close because you you always have you know reasons for doing these strategic decisions and but you present it in a very artistic way and they'll say, well. How is that going to attract 19 to to 25 year olds and then you're like oh well thank you for asking (laughs) yeah you you rub your hands together as well he is this this is why i did it um so yeah having that in your back pocket is really is really good i've found anyway
0: yeah that objectivity actually helps to guide the outcome which is such a, a weird way of thinking about it because i we have these conversations all the time We're we're talking to other designers. We're talking about strategy. We're talking about process. We're watching videos from YouTube people or whatever. But when you actually go out into the real world and you talk to people who are not creative at all, yeah. it becomes very difficult for them to distinguish between strategy, design, art, uh, colors, typography. Like they, they just can't, like it's just too much. Um, yeah. Sometimes you'll see a beautiful piece of signage and they've, on the bottom the slogans in comic sans and it's like how did you get from this to that and it's like when you add all these opinions together and mix all these things from people who are not creative the ability to turn to a client and say this is why we have done x y and z and you also like the visual well that's even better like uh, there's not there's not been a point where i've had to turn to a client and say this is the design this is the outcome And this is what you'll get. And they're like, well, I hate the visual, but the strategy works. It's like, and there's always that talk about uh, Chase Bank with uh, Tom Geismar where they're like, the director of the bank hated the logo, but the strategy was solid. And within six months, the director had it on his tie, on his chair, on his envelope, like he loved it. So there is something to be said for, as you said, had to have these, this level of strategy in the background Undercutting everything, building your foundation before yeah. going ahead.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, it's um, uh, it, yeah, it's just great. It's just great having that, and it, it gives you that confidence to be more creative. I think you know, if 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 you have such good strategic um, objectives, um, it allows you to be more of an artist. Because if if if, if you know if you don't really know what you're doing and you're just trying to win the client over based on pretty colours and nice visuals, you're always going to set yourself up to fail. Um, so I think having that solid foundation, it gives you confidence and allows you to be more creative. Um, I think it's that, it's that eureka moment that you get, that like, wow, this is all fitting together very nicely. Um, and then everything just seems to fall into place once you've got that. You make one decision and everything sort of lines up. And you don't have to explain it because um, because people will just get it, um, and that's and that's the really exciting part, I think.
0: So why do you think people set themselves up for failure when they don't do this? Have you kind of done the other side? Have you seen the other side?
1: I mean, I've I've I think because I've done it myself. I'm not I'm not saying that you can't win commissions based like purely based on on graphics. Of course you can, um, but in my experience, when I've I've, I've, you know, someone's given me a great commission and I've straight away done the designs and I, I've created something that I think is really nice straight away without even talking to the client, without even asking any questions. And in my head, it's, it, it looks really good. And I think I've won it. And then I, I show them straight away and they're like, wow, this couldn't be further away from the mark. Um, and it's because we haven't, or I haven't listened to what they want. Um, it, it goes back to what I said earlier about them being a puzzle um you know i've i've had some clients saying i want i want this to be really luxurious um and then i i go away and think well i'm going to make something luxurious and then they say well that's not luxurious um and then you you realize that oh i should have asked them what they think luxurious is do you know what i mean um and yeah whether they
0: they meant mini cooper or whether they meant like bentley yeah
1: yeah exactly yeah so so yeah i mean it's just it's, it's just from experience that i think um, a hint of strategy is it just makes it makes things flow a little a little more efficiently I think
0: now when it comes back to the point you made about being a bit more having a bit more confidence to be more artistic or more um, open with the overall design or the identity what is yeah. is there any particular story that comes to mind when you th- feel that like you had a client commission and you've got your strategy laid out. You've got all those foundations. You've got a great relationship with a client and you could just go nuts or really open yeah. up that artistic direction. Is there anything that comes to mind of a client job you've done where you kind of stretched your wings that way?
1: Yeah, I think I think my most recent one um, with Shia Sassy that really allowed me to, to go to town on the identity. And that was all based around our relationship and our foundation that we built. Um, that we built right early on in the in the project. And I think like when you're when when you have such a great relationship with the client early on and you sort of feed off their passion, if you're really inspired by their passion and you and and you really let them inspire you and talk to you about their products and, and you use their products and you go see their products, that relationship that you have with the client in that moment is the feeling that you want every single customer to feel when they buy that product. Um, and we nailed that really early on. We nailed the target audience. We nailed, um, the direction, what it has to do, what it doesn't have to do. Um, you know, and I, and I wrote these things down, this is what we're going to do. This is what we want to achieve. This is our target audience. And she was blown away by it. And it was more our rapport with one another and the relationship we built up. Um, and she was allowed to trust me and she trusted me a hundred percent. And then once once I gave her that and showed her our strategy, I was then able to, you know, to then do the project. And I think she's loved every single decision I've made. I mean, there's been a few, there's been a few edits here and there, but the majority of it has been plain sailing, which is which is it's it's amazing because some of them have not been like that
0: yeah for sure <laughs> i yeah. know that feeling um and just for people listening at home um the sh- Shea Shea sassy um is that right shia i think shea? Shea, i think
1: i think it's meant to be sh- uh, pronounced Shea, but i say shia sassy i think okay that's just I'm so not- the project greg
0: <laughs> just mentioned um is on his Behance and his instagram which you can check the links in the description of today's show for. but yeah the point you were getting to um was that it, it, it's so interesting like it's so interesting when you can get that through when When you open that like door up and you kind of take the client on this journey with you and then they trust that the map that you have is actually correct, yeah you're able to run a lot further with
1: it, yeah definitely um you're not you're not blinded by i hope they like this you know yeah you've you're just looking at the map that you've both laid out um and it's like um it's like the win without pitching, you know, we're not, by doing this process, it's more of a collaboration and we're not pitching to the client all the time. So it takes that stress off you and and, it, and it's more on the, on the designs once you've laid out that foundation.
0: Yeah, it sucks out the subjectivity, doesn't it? It's like yeah. trying to show somebody a map with like six different pretty sparkles on just to distract them from all the other rubbish that you've hidden in there. Um, Or having a compass that has a like an extra point on it for no reason um it's all of these subjective things that just pull a project apart and obviously as you say that that adds to stress that adds to lack of confidence um and ultimately a project where your focus is not on the best interest of the client it's on the best interest of their personal opinion yeah definitely now, when it comes to the the projects that you're working towards at the moment, I've looked kind of a little bit through your profiles and through your Behance and things like that. And it feels like you're kind of going towards this more luxury side. And it feels like um, the products you're working with, the people you're working with are kind of these homegrown businesses that are really pushing towards something that's going to help their customers. Now, you mentioned at the yeah. top of the show that you feel like you're narrowing down your niche. And yeah. I'd love to hear a bit more about that and how maybe what what niche you're kind of aiming towards right now and how you found that
1: yeah so i mean i've i've sort of stumbled upon it because the the things that i've done in the past have been have just been things that i've been commissioned for you know very early on i I would take every single commission that would come my way and it didn't really matter on the the type of commission or the style that they wanted it in i would just do it um but as time has gone on, as as my prices have gone up, I can be more selective with the clients, and it just feels that I have a I have a knack for for like luxurious design. I think, and I think it all stems back from the fine art influences. Um, I, I just I love things that feel. Um, high-end and luxurious you know like vogue and and tatler and um you know them kind of brands i just i really like that kind of vibe and that theme um and, and i was really able to put that them in influences into sheer sassy and i have um i'm doing another project at the minute that's that's probably on the same lines as sheer sassy in terms of in terms of the look and feel so i'm very excited to get that one out as well um i, I think yeah being more selective i think that's that's a big key in, in sort of niching down. Because I, I know the niching debate is quite hot at the moment. Um, and I think one of the main things is being more selective. Um, I've probably turned down a lot more things this year than, than, than I've taken on. Um, yeah, I, think, I think being more selective and just doing things that you enjoy and not feeling the pressure to put things on social media because you feel you have to or um you haven't posted for a few weeks and uh, or, or 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 there's a trend going on you know there's a trend going on should should i post a carousel or should i um should i stick to my guns and wait until i've got a client that i really like um yeah so i think that's how i've naturally niched down is just eventually finding the projects that i like doing um and just running with it and trying not to fold under the pressure of, of trends and the lower paying clients i think
0: and that's good to hear because it's like a halfway house so although you may not have picked a specific industry you want to target kind of on everything you've actually found that adding filters in adding more discussions in prior to a project starting actually allows you to be more selective um yeah which- yeah which is definitely a good thing to do (laughs) and for people listening at home if you don't have a questionnaire you send out or at least some preliminary questions to get people in i mean greg how do you go about kind of vetting your clients or prospects in fact before they become clients
1: um i mean the way they get in touch with me is normally the biggest sign if i get um, a message saying how much for logo i'm like like, i won't even reply to that one million dollars sometimes i i know this sounds really big headed but some like once i've actually said, sorry you can't afford me and and i know that sounds really big headed but i knew i knew who it was i knew the business they had um, and i just i just said no straight away um, and it, yeah, I don't know it's, it's just the way they it's the way they approach it's the way they approach you and it just feels that they don't value you if the, if they approach you like that it's like oh how much for a snickers bar mate Do you know what i mean it's yeah. it feels very similar to that And then I think you go about asking them about their product. Um, You obviously asked, um, I I normally ask sort of a few questions about their product first and try and give them a little bit of advice before I even talk about money. But then I I will ask if they have a budget. And if they say they don't have a budget or they're going to come into a budget, then that's red flags for me, I think, um, when they start ducking and diving very early on.
0: And those red flags, again, are something you, I assume, picked up over the last few years of dealing with everybody and anybody. You very quickly realize who is going to be a nice person to deal with and who is just going to be a complete nightmare.
1: Oh, yeah, I've had some really awful clients and just really awful experiences um, and awful briefs and, and just going with it because I feel I have to. Because I, I don't know. The, for a long period of time, I felt like I was an artist. Well, I am an artist, but I felt like an artist that isn't worth anything and should just do it because I don't know. I just lower value worker rather than someone who is an industry professional. I know I'm not an industry professional, but I like to think I will be one day. And I think that 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 is how everyone should go about talking about money. Because whoever you are, money is important, and um, and clients. You know, and talking about money with clients is important. So I think you have to have that mindset. Um, uh, but I think going through these awful clients and them experiences really either makes or break you. I think, um, and it has very nearly broke me very few times.
0: Well, I mean, there's there's a question for you, but um, I'll get to that in a second. But the the thing I wanted to just say there is that it doesn't. It, sometimes you feel like you're not worth anything, as as you say, yeah. and something that I had to learn kind of harshly last year was that if someone is hiring you for the job, you are good enough for the job that they want you to do. That's if yeah, they're you. So again, for people listening at home, as Greg and I can both attest to, just because you have horrible experiences in the past, just because you think you're not worth anything does not mean that's actually the case. It, although you might not feel like a Michael Bayrou yet, or you might not feel... um like a Tommy Bow or someone, some legend in the industry, it doesn't actually mean you're not good enough to do the job you're doing, <laughs> which, obviously, as you say, leads to to some uh, fairly negative mental states. But going back to kind of something a bit more hilarious, Greg. What's something that you kind of feel you've done in the past with a client or they've asked you to do and you looking back in retrospect gone, that was ridiculous. Why did I do that? (laughs) Do you have any of those kind of stories that you're willing to share?
1: Um, Like a bad design choice or a... Oh,
0: let's say a bad client.
1: (laughs) bad client. Um, I have one client in mind. Um, I won't name names because I don't want (laughs) to...
0: okay we'll balance this out i'll show you one of mine as well
1: (laughs) all right so i got in it was a client from london again and um she had a skincare um company or something um and she um she wasn't um she wasn't a native english speaker and she wanted something that was um it was what was it so it was it was a it was a it was a japanese um it was a japanese brand and um she want she wanted something to be um to have japanese vibes um like a theme and and i love doing fine art and i love doing brush strokes and stuff like that so i i love that kind of commission so i watched a lot of um you know japanese calligraphy stuff and i made i made a logo um and i really liked it, it had it had it had the feel of a of a japanese Japanese logo but it was it was a, it was an English word it, it it said it said her brand in English um, and at first she absolutely loved it which was great um, but then she showed it to some of her friends and um, you know someone pointed out that it, it's not legible in Chinese and I was that sorry Japanese and I was like um, well of course it isn't because you can't have something that's legible in two different languages at the same time um, and it, it, it just it just got into a um, just an awful mess, like so many um, insults throwing around. That you know, it's 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 childish. It's not very good. I can't I can't even read it. No one is going to like this. And it just it was just awful. It just got into an awful mess. Um, and I and it really hit me hard because I, I did like the logo, and it was the fact that she liked it. And then when it when she started showing it to people, everyone sort of gave her their opinion, and then she hated it. So um yeah
0: (laughs) tainted waters
1: yeah i think that's probably my um probably my worst but i mean looking back on it now i mean i don't even like it now because that was a few years ago i I would make it differently um i I would do the whole process differently now i would ask very early on does this need to be legible in two different languages um yeah. Yeah. That I mean, a...
0: Greg, can I just jump in here and say, if you're like, if you're making a logo that's legible in two different languages, that's a ridiculous prospect
1: very early on. Uh, like
0: didn't. no company does that. Like Carlsberg, Coca-Cola, they literally write their logo in Arabic. They don't just try and merge two languages together. Like, come on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think it's cause I, I sort of went down the route of trying to, trying to get a, a Japanese theme, um, but still have it in English. And, yeah. and I think the client got confused with, I was going to have some Japanese sort of leg- like legibility in there. Um, and I said to him, look, I'm English. I I, I I can't speak Japanese. So um, please forgive me, but that wasn't in the brief.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, that sucks. But also equally <laughs> hilarious.
1: <laughs> yeah, very hilarious.
0: so just to balance that out i'll share one um since we've not really spoken before i'll share one of those kind of stories with you um i again for a client in london i don't know if it's london i don't think it is london i think it's just that's maybe where this particular type of person comes from sometimes but anyway um i was dealing with a guy um who had multiple businesses one of which was a restaurant he was clearly very good at running businesses or at least adept at running them um i don't know if he was a nice person to work with but anyway um, he, he contacted me about a restaurant um, that he wanted to update and rebrand. Now, this restaurant uh, budget was small uh, for the type of area it was in. It was a very high-end uh, butcher slash deli place in London, of which there are a few, so you won't find it just by a quick Google. Um, but the budget was small. But for, for me at the time, it was a large budget. But in terms of budgets, yeah. it was small. Um, and... I took this project on on the basis that I get to do an entire restaurant. and What an amazing opportunity. Um, and I was early in my career and all, all this type of stuff. I'm still early in my career, but very early um, in what I'm doing in the grand scheme of things. I took this budget, uh, took this project on with that budget, took the deposit, etc. And he was, he didn't turn up to most of the meetings. And these were all just video phone calls. He basically seemed to expect me to just turn up to London to do a 30-minute meeting and then leave again. But he never explicitly said that. He never explicitly, we never discussed this, or he signed the contract, he signed all of these things, but it didn't actually seem like he'd read any of it. Uh, and I thought this project was going to be a red flag right from the start, so much so that I didn't spend any of the deposit for three months.
1: Oh, God so this from this is
0: a lot of money for me like this although in terms of say in terms of grand scheme projects for a restaurant it was a small budget but for me it was quite a lot of money i didn't touch it and after i'd it we've gone back and forth and there was one point over near christmas so this would have been like a year ago over a year ago at this point um kind of near christmas-ish time new year time and i said okay right we'll book this meeting and he'd signed it off we'd signed in this meeting uh scheduled this meeting and We fly, sorry, it gets like half an hour, an hour before the meeting. Um, And I get a message from him saying, I'm really sorry, Connor. Um, You know that I was on holiday in California right now to do business and leisure. So I did think I'd have the time today. Um, But we've actually decided we're going to fly down to Mexico for the day and hang out on the beach.
1: Oh, wow. Thanks for that. (laughs) And I'm like
0: 20 minutes before we're meant to speak to him. And it's like, fabulous. Right. Okay, cool. So. I'd obviously been trying to make concepts. I've been trying as you as you did with your client to figure something out based on what the limited discussions we've had, the limited reference images I've been given, um, and make something. And I'm just there freaking out, being like, Oh my god, what's going on? I sent him one thing, he absolutely hated it. I sent him another thing, and he said, Oh, that's fairly good, but it's kind of similar to what we have now. Da 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 da. Um and eventually I phoned him up, like shaking on the phone, being like I'm really sorry, but we're going to have to. I was basically trying to fire the client. Um, I did it in the end. And I said, and he said, well, what about the deposit I sent you? And I said, well, I'm going to be keeping an amount based on the contract that I feel fits the amount of work I've done, which was a tiny chunk of the deposit, a tiny chunk. Um, And I said, I'm going to be keeping that because that's based on the work and the effort I've put in up to this point. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, excuse me? what's why and he said if you do that i'm going to take you to court like i'll see you in court over it (laughs) and we're talking like a couple hundred dollars like a couple hundred pounds like maybe 500 pounds at the most um and which is like small claims at the most um but i knew that if i knew this dude was serious over 500 pounds when that was not even like a drop in the bucket for him so what it would have what would have happened is he would have sent a letter from his lawyer to me and basically been like hey you like got to give this 500 pound back and now also the lawyer fee which is another 500 pounds because we wrote you a letter. That's basically what would have happened. <laughs> and I was like it's just not worth it and I lost like 3 months of my life.
1: Oh, but God.
0: it's just not him worth him it. Back. Sorry.
1: You gave him the money back?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I wasn't yeah. I wasn't even going to risk it. But it's this it, when you tell that story, Greg, of like you try and do your best, you try and take on, and, and you think this is going to be an amazing challenge, and then actually yeah. a month in, a week in, a day in, you're actually like, shit. <laughs> Why did I do this? Um, and it, it's stories like that that I think a form better business people, um, yeah, but also allows us to have conversations like this because. I personally don't, although that was a client from hell, I, I don't reflect on them like, oh, they were a horrible person. Like I I took the job on at the start of the day. And I don't know how you feel about this, but I always feel like at the end of the day, it was my responsibility and I was naive back then. So I should be doing better now. And I can't blame that person for being an asshole. They were just an asshole. Like that's just who they are as a person. So... A lot of that kind of self-reflection and responsibility actually ends up on you because you picked you made the wrong choice
1: i mean i mean your story sounds more like he's a bit of a dick but my story is more on my shoulders because i I didn't ask the right questions so i think i think i think they're both oh yeah so
0: just to just to kind of pause you there for a second i definitely did not ask the right questions so this is this is it's like a mixture so it, it does sound like someone has swayed your client and also someone definitely swayed mine too so but yeah. they also at the start there was a lack of questions there was a lack of pressure for me to be like i should be asking questions right now <laughs> like,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah yeah communication is key i think especially early on yeah definitely and like letters of ing- um, engagement and stuff are very important um i don't know do you do that now i guess you do uh
0: contracts and things like that yeah Yes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there was a contract in that particular project, but that just clearly didn't matter. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I, all of those types of things are implemented now. And if you don't have those, I think you're being very foolish. And I I say, I'm not sure if you've spoken to other people or done this in your in the past, but I have been messaged in the past from people who say, um i i used a contract but this project has such a short deadline that like i just took it on and did it and i'm like oh god why did you do that and then two days later they're like oh yeah this person is now trying to refund themselves on my paypal and telling paypal they didn't get what they asked for <laughs> it's like oh my yeah. god.
1: no matter how short no matter how quick the budget sorry how quick the turnaround is you always have to do the the contracts definitely
0: yeah and it's, it's something you cannot miss, <laughs> as both yeah. Greg and I can attest to, it seems. Yeah,
1: please do it, everyone. Please do it.
0: <laughs> yes, please definitely do it. Get your And if you don't
1: have it. it, I'll send you mine and you can just change the <laughs> word. <laughs> there you go, you. guys.
0: <laughs> That's a nice offer for you. <laughs> um, but many people struggle with that. Many people struggle just even... Um, finding basic terms for their contract it doesn't have to be this amazing thing it doesn't have to be some like stamped with the seal from the queen like it, it it just has to lay out the basic terms of your project and the basic terms of engagement as you say
1: yeah i think I think it's scary when you're when you're in a creative industry and you have to start being more business savvy you know getting new bank accounts or making uh contracts and 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 requesting deposits and stuff it's it's i mean it was scary for me i mean money and tax and stuff like that absolutely terrified me i just wanted to draw and make pretty things but you have to you really have to get up on that because if you're a freelancer you're going to do it all yourself and like you say if someone's going to send you a cease and desist letter or or you know a letter to ask for a refund then it's it can be quite scary so you have to um you have to get up on these kind of things
0: yeah completely and i mean coming from the the fine art background and the the art background that you have Most of those people have managers or representatives or agents or accountants and all these types of things that help, especially when they start to make more money, that can actually do that side for them. Um, And when you when you look at that world, fine art world compared to the design, maybe the freelance world, did it come as a bit of a shock for you, or do you see? Can you see the massive disparity between the
1: two? I mean, I never, I never um, did enough of the fine art world to to have managers or to or or to be in galleries or anything um but i i definitely know of people who are in that position now and 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 they have it quite well um i think i think for us designers it's 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 only until we have an agency that that we that we're free from the you know the individual pressure of of having to do this all ourselves so I, i i don't really have the experience to um see a massive difference but I definitely know people who do Um, and yeah but it's it's made it's made me stronger as a person It's made me better it's made me it's made me a better business person Um, and 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 things like negotiating and and talking about money if I hadn't had this experience I wouldn't be as good at doing that now Uh, and you know playing hard to get and stuff like that I think it's learning them skills you like you learn it from doing so I I'm glad I've had to do it my, myself.
0: Totally. And kind of to the last, one of the last things I want to talk to you about today is leaning more towards the the writing and the content production that you've been doing recently. Now, yep. um, I was kind of turned onto your account. I've seen it a few times, but uh, Lisa Jacobs, as I said, uh, pointed me towards a post you've done recently on Instagram. And before we kind of move towards Instagram, I've been talking about that a lot in the last few months. I wanted to actually yep. dive into an article you'd written for um for Design Cuts um yep. back in back in November which is fairly recent when we're recording this it's uh titled Building a Brand Using Design Cuts Mockups and it's I believe using some of the tools from the Future Mockup Kit that was fairly recent.
1: That's correct yeah.
0: Yeah and firstly why did you did you approach Design Cuts to do this article or did they find and ask you to write
1: it? Um so I I I've, I've spoke to Tom Ross quite a few times on various subjects um but on this occasion I just wanted to thank him um on his amazing bundle because I've you know I've, I purchased that bundle and I've purchased other bundles in the, in the past. Um I just want to say thank you and keep up the great work. I didn't expect anything back from him. Um he 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 looked at the project and he, and he said straight away wow this is absolutely amazing. Um would you be willing to write an article on how the mockups helped you do this brand, you know? um and i you know i couldn't say no i absolutely I, I would love to write an article um and i've always wanted to get more into writing blog posts and articles and doing more content stuff um because i think it's good in in writing these ideas down um and yeah we we arranged the schedule and 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 yeah i i did it so that's that's how it came about
0: so this is kind of your first foray into publishing. Or at least online publishing
1: yeah it is yeah i mean i've done a lot of um if i would have to write like the behance project for example i had to do a lot of thinking about how how to write the messaging and what i wanted to write and um but it's definitely my first article uh, that's been officially launched um well, for, and firstly
0: it, congratulations for that because it's quite a big thing to not just actually because most designers can't write let's be honest And I've been looking through this article and it's very well written, um, particularly for the message you're trying to translate across. Again, people listening at home, this article will be in the show notes for today, but it's also on Design Cut's blog. Um, But many people see the visual side of design as the only way to kind of articulate what they're good at. Um, But something I'm learning more and more and more, having been writing since every day since january uh, of of 2019 and really trying to push and understand how to convey a message clearly through writing to see other people like yourself kind of put their toe in the water to be like is this something that might help um is really good because i think more people should be doing it um which is why i was quite excited when i found that you'd written this article for design cuts because not only does it show your ability to convey that message but also the a product you'd used helped to visually convey a message and now you're doing it through writing as well which is yeah definitely it's like two different skill sets but they're also very similar
1: yeah and it's it's funny because the things that i was writing about um when i was making the Behance project and because it was my first project these things they i was doing them subconsciously um i wasn't i wasn't thinking i need to create an identity system i need to set the tone i need to now um, tell the story I was just I was doing it through the creative process and then once I finished it and I thought to myself you know how did I actually go about doing this process um, and, and I realized that these mock-ups really helped me either um, set the tone tell the story um, and keep things consistent I, I realized that i had gone through this process and it, it all goes back to the methodical you know experiment thing we were talking about earlier um, and it's just writing them down, and it was kind of another eureka moment, even after I'd finished the project, that this is the process that I went through, and it's now helped me on doing the second project, and it will probably help me on the next project, and I hope it helps other people in trying to find their voice and trying to set a tone, and just and it it should make these projects easier if you if you you know you condense them down into more biteable chunks, and and yeah, you work through it, work through it more methodically rather than just trying to do everything at once. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. So by, by writing these case studies, it helps you to A, reflect on your process and B, figure out what the best bits were, where you had the eureka moment, where you uh, maybe need to condense, as you say, your process down a little bit more um, and refine as well. Yeah, definitely. And this Design Cuts um, blog, I've, I've been looking through it and obviously the Behance project that kind of pairs up and mirrors to it as well um these types of projects for people listening at home even if you're not writing them for a website like design cuts to be able to sit down and write an article like this or to sit and explain your process through short snippets on a behance project or through the copy on instagram or the carousel post or whatever you want to do is an incredible way to attract clients now i don't know whether you've had any kind of feedback from non-designers on these projects yet greg but i imagine that this type of writing and this type of content will actually serve you very well in the future
1: yeah i've had i've had um a few inquiries already um similar clients as well so it's that's that's really encouraging that this type of project has a, has attracted similar types of clients so so that is really that's really encouraging and it's and it's yeah it's exciting for the future
0: and and making the work that you want to do so sharing yes. and making the work you want to do brings in the work you want to do
1: <laughs> yeah so it's, it's it's that natural progression of finding your niche rather than deciding what you want to do like i'm going to write an article now to find more clients you no know, you, you just you you do it naturally and it, and it should it should happen as long as you put the work in and you spend the hours doing it
0: excellent now just to kind of round things off i yep. found your account through a, and, and more so asked you to be on the show um because i was very very intrigued by a post you'd made uh for Shea sassy for Shea sassy the the yep. project you we've been talking about multiple times throughout the show um It's a particular carousel post. And as I said to Lisa, when she told me about this post, I was like, this guy has done exactly what I've wanted to do or have been planning to do for a while, which is, and I'm very glad someone has gone ahead and done it, which is taking this kind of thought leadership carousel type post and broken it down into a case study format that instead of like the Behance projects, you scroll through from top to bottom, this is going through Instagram from left to right. And- I think it's an excellent way of presenting this. It's a great post, firstly. Um, Again, you can go check out Greg's Instagram to see it. It's one of the more recent posts. And the way you've structured it, as you say, helps to tell that story, helps to convey that message you had with the project. And when you were kind of looking at creating this type of content, you've said earlier in the show that you'd rather make content that is reflective of what you want to achieve, the great clients you've had, rather than just sharing everything. And do you think this type of content and this type of post is actually going to particularly on Instagram where things move so flipping fast? Yeah. Do you think this is actually going to help you in the long run doing more case studies like this? Because it's it's an unusual post, but it's something I've been hoping people do for a long time.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean I mean one thing that stands out about that post is it's not that easy to make. You yeah. have to either, you you have to either have the individual items photographed, or you have to have the correct um like mock ups and items. And I was just lucky enough to have these product photography that we had um taken together for the sheer Sassy project. Um and I mean this that that post that, that you're looking at, it actually came from some challenges that I was I was facing in my behance project. Um do you want me to go into that? Are we
0: Yeah, no, totally go for it. We've got a few minutes.
1: All right, awesome. Um, So yeah, one of the main challenges that I had with this project is I had so many media types for this um, project. I had photography, I had videography, I had branding, I had printed materials, I had uh, social media themes, and I had website. And I had all these things, and I was kind of so frustrated um, because I wasn't effectively demonstrating the work I'd put into this project. And I wanted the Behance project to be as God as good if not better than the brand itself um, and I was and I was racking my brain how to actually um, how to actually achieve this and I realized that you know going back to the article first you've got to set a theme and the theme for this for this project is is based around the pre-made scenes where I had combined the photography and the mock-ups together to kind of blur the, the the boundary between realism and what we had created as a designer and um and yeah it taking these individual items and separating them out it 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 it, you know it goes it goes a long way into telling the story of the brand so you can have for example you can have the embossed um flyer holder and you can have the tissue paper and then you can have the logo in the middle of the page and the things that decorate the page they tell the story without actually telling the viewer. I made tissue paper. I made the flyer holder. I made a business card. If you decorate the pages with the things that you actually created, you're telling a story and you're telling it more effectively. And like you say, in, in this fast-paced world, um, people digest information a lot quicker, and it just gets the message across a lot quicker. Um, so it should it should be more efficient um, in in getting that message across. So that's That's how it came about. And I think, yeah, I will definitely sort of make more posts like that in the future. And if, and if I, well, not if, when, when I am making my other behance projects, um, I will always go down that approach. Can I get product photography? Um, if I can't, where can I get it from? Um, can I do top down stuff? Can I get pre-made scenes? Can I combine them to make it look even more realistic? Um, and just and just improve the presentation all the time, and to to attract like people like yourself, and to attract um, more and more clients.
0: That's awesome to hear. It's awesome to hear that you've thought so thoroughly about that execution. Yeah, because for many people, it's just an afterthought.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think yeah, I I, I wanted to present it in a way that people would see it and think, wow, look at how much effort has gone into this project, because I did put a lot of effort. It was quite a few, it was a few years of work gone into it. And like I said before, I wanted the project to be as good, if not better than the brand that it was presenting. And I think as a designer, it would be wrong to present something badly. I mean, that is what we do. We, you know, we present things in a really nice way. So I think if we, if we can present our work in an even nicer way, I mean, that's bound to get clients. So, why not Why not make it as good as possible
0: and on that note Greg, thank you very much for being on the show, really appreciate you coming on it's been lovely to talk to you um, and obviously best of luck with all these new projects that are going to be coming through because I know you're going to be getting a bunch after what I've seen of the work you've created so far
1: <laughs> Awesome, <laughs> well thanks for having me and I'll speak to you soon
0: Yeah, well before you dive away and jump off this call, where can people find you on the internet?
1: Um. So I think my Instagram is probably the, the best place to go to start with. It's at GGG davies, Um and also my behance, which is also at GGG davies, And then my website, which is gregdaviesartanddesign.com. Um, yeah, and I'll see you there.
0: <laughs> oh, excellent. All those links are going to be down in the description, guys. Please go and check out Greg's work and obviously check out that particular post we've been talking about on Instagram if you're finding the podcast from there. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate the show five stars if you've enjoyed today's show and leave us a comment about what you've thought about the Fowler Hour in the general or this particular episode and the value we've brought to you today. Thank you very much for tuning in to the show and we'll see you same time next week on Thursdays. Thanks very much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time. Bye for now.